have a message that's burning inside of me that the Lord dropped in my spirit this week um, uh, about uh, the sacrifice that we make before Him. So we're going to read one passage of Scripture, and I know when I read it, um, some of you are going to think, what on earth? Leviticus chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version, but I do want to ask you, give me your undivided attention uh, this morning for the next few moments, and I believe the Lord's going to speak to you through this message. Leviticus chapter 3, verses 12 through 16, the New King James Version. And if his offering is a goat, then he shall offer it before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on its head and kill it before the tabernacle of meeting. And the sons of Aaron shall sprinkle its blood all around the altar. Then he shall offer from it his offering as an offering made by fire to the Lord. Remember that. The fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks, and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys, he shall remove. And the priest shall burn them on the altar as food. An offering made by fire for a sweet aroma. All the fat is the Lord's. I want to preach to you for a few moments this morning a message uh, I've simply titled A Smoking Sacrifice. A Smoking Sacrifice. If you will, pray with me and for me. Father, we thank you today once again for just the opportunity to be in your house. We thank you for your word. God, I pray for the next few moments that you would decrease me until I'm nothing, that your Holy Spirit would be increased within me. God, I pray that I would not speak with my own words or the enticing words of men's wisdom, but that your word, Lord, would come forth today in the demonstration and the power of your Holy Spirit. God, anoint every ear to hear and every heart to receive what you are speaking to your people today, God, and let us heed your word, Father, that, that we make sure and certain that the sacrifice that we offer to you is acceptable, God, and that you will bless it and honor it. And we give you the glory, the honor, and the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Now, some of you probably got grossed out when I read that passage of scripture, but just, just stay with me. Now, let me give you just a little bit of uh, background uh, on this. First of all, the laws of the sacrifices take up several chapters of the Old Testament, if you go research that in the Word. And because we no longer operate under the sacrificial system that they operated with under the Old Testament, it sometimes makes for boring, tedious, and what some of you might have just thought was some grotesque reading. But to most all of us who are accustomed to uh, just going to the grocery store and buying our neatly packaged meat there or ordering it from John Martin and getting it delivered neatly packaged, uh, for all of us it's difficult to comprehend what I just read to you after, out of this passage of scripture. And sometimes it's, it's hard to stomach reading about those requirements of the sacrifice. So while I'm there, let me stop and say, is anybody besides me thankful that we don't have to abide by those laws anymore? Amen? Amen. Now listen, y'all help me preach this morning or you're going to be here till the 11 o'clock crowd gets here. So the Bible was very specific in describing the things that were to be placed on the fire. We know that the animal being sacrificed was first cut or punctured in a way that it would actually bleed out. 
that was the goal. That's the way that they, they killed it. And then they would place a basin underneath it and they would catch that blood of the sacrifice as it drained out. Then they took that blood and they would sprinkle it on the altar and the remainder of it was poured out at the base of the altar. And then next, the animal had to be butchered. It was cut up and all of the fat was removed from it. And it was this fat that was placed on the fire to be burnt. Uh, as our text that we read this morning described. In fact, the, the next verse following our main text, verse 17, said this. It shall be a perpetual statute for your generations throughout all your dwellings that ye eat neither fat nor blood. You didn't eat those things. Those were part of the sacrifice. And did you have you ever noticed what happens to fat on a fire? Some of you cooks out there. Meat will cook and it will eventually burn up until it's uh, nothing more than just tough charcoal-like substance and maybe you've experienced that before at a cookout or when you were grilling but fat does not do that because of its greasy content fat will burn up it will add fuel to the fire it will cause the fire to flare if you put fat on the fire it will also smoke and when you're grilling fatty meat the fat will drip down into that fire causing smoke and many many grill masters if you will claim that it's the smoke from the fat that gives grilling its unique flavor. Well, what does that have to do with the laws of the sacrifice? The Jewish Bible, and I didn't give the guys these uh, scriptures in the Jewish Bible because I'm not necessarily endorsing that you go read and study the Jewish Bible, but there are some things in there that are interesting when you study it in the context of what this said. So the Jewish Bible provides an interesting translation of the last verse of our text today. And here's what it said. It said, And the priest shall make them smoke upon the altar. Think about that. It is the food of the offering made by fire for a sweet savor. All the fat is the Lord's. So God's requirement for the sacrifice was this. When you offer a sacrifice, make sure it smokes. Did you hear me? When you offer a sacrifice, make sure it smokes. Everywhere the Bible talks of burning something on the altar, I thought this was interesting, the Jewish Bible translates it to make it smoke. That's the way it translates it. May our life application today from this sermon be this. Whatever you offer to God, make sure that it smokes. I said whatever you offer to God, make sure that it smokes. There is a, a, a Pentecostal ministry that, I'm a, that I am familiar with and the slogan of that ministry is where there's smoke, there's fire. I came to tell you something this morning. One of the reasons our sacrifices are not accepted anymore and they're not acceptable anymore is because the church has lost their fire. We have no fire to burn up the fat of the sacrifice. God help us that we make sure and certain that the fire of God's Holy Spirit is alive and burning in His church. Whatever you offer to God, make sure that it smokes. In other words, Give him everything you've got. Don't hold anything back. Listen, God is not looking for half-hearted Christians to go through life with no enthusiasm. 
He's looking for those who have sold out to his cause. That's a term we don't use much anymore. He's looking for somebody who will live for him with a passion. With a passion. Nobody wants to be around a dead Christian. Nobody wants to go to a dead church. Paul said in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, I beseech you therefore brethren, or in other words, I beg you, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do you know another translation says, which is your spiritual act of worship, presenting yourself to God. See, we're not offering bulls and goats and lambs and turtle doves and all those things anymore. We're offering up ourselves. We're offering ourselves to God, but just as God required that the priest made the fat to smoke, he requires us to serve him with our whole heart. Mark chapter 12, verse 29 and 30. Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. I want you, if you're writing anything down, I want you to write this down today. Religion without passion is sacrifice without smoke. Let me say that again. Religion without passion is sacrifice without smoke. How important is it that the sacrifice smokes? Eli, the high priest, had two sons. I want you to listen again to what the Jewish Bible, and this is the last one I'll share from the Jewish Bible, says. And I didn't give them this passage, but 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 12 through 17 in the Jewish Bible. Listen to what it says. Now the sons of Eli were base men. They knew not the Lord. And the custom of the priests with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servant came while the flesh was in seething with a flesh hook of three teeth in his band. And he struck it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the flesh hook brought up, the priest took therewith. So they did unto all the Israelites that came thither in Shiloh. Yea, before the fat was made to smoke, the priest's servant came and said to the man that sacrificed, Give flesh to roast for the priest, for he will not have sodden flesh of thee, but raw. And if the man said to him, Let the fat be made smoke first of all, and then take as much as thy soul desireth. Then he would say, Nay, but thou shalt give it me now. And if not, I will take it by force. And the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for the men dealt contemptuously with the offering of the Lord. They offered the sacrifice, but they refused to let the fat smoke. That's what this passage of Scripture is telling us. I want to say it again. Religion without passion is sacrifice without smoke. It looks good. Are you with me? It goes through the motions, but it lacks what God is looking for. God is looking for the fire. Paul described it in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 5 as having a form of godliness. I could preach an entire message on this today, but yet lacking the power thereof. From such things, turn away. It might look good. It might sound good. People might be flocking to it by the droves, but if it's not the fire of God. Turn away from it. 
There's another interesting aspect of the sacrifice. Most of the sacrifice that were offered were also, now listen to this, don't get grossed out, but they were eaten by the priest. Either by the priest or by those who brought it to be offered. God did not require that the whole animal be burnt, only the fat. The rest of the meat was cooked and it was enjoyed by those offering the sacrifice. Leviticus 7, verses 8 through 10, very quickly. And the priest who offers anyone's burnt offering, the priest shall have for himself the skin of the burnt offering which he has offered. I don't know about you, but I like fried chicken skin. As every grain offering that is baked in the oven and all that is prepared in the covered pan or in a pan shall be the priest who offers it. Every grain offering, whether mixed with oil or dry, shall belong to all the sons of Aaron, to one as much as the other. If you're a good cook and you want to make a sacrifice to the Lord, bring it to me and I'll enjoy it. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, Eli's sons had already been promised the meat to eat, but they refused to wait for the fat to smoke before they enjoyed the blessings. Did you hear me? See, some people, some folk are serving God only for the blessings. But they never take the time to make a smoking sacrifice for the Lord. Their religion consists in what God can do for them and not what they can offer to God. Their church attendance consists of what the church can do for them, but not what they can do for the church. Boy, it's going to get quiet now. So one more time, I want to say it. Religion without passion is sacrifice without smoke. I want to tell you, it is time for the people of God to serve Him once again with passion. Passion. I want to give you very quickly seven passions I want to speak about this morning. That's why I said I wasn't going to sing to allow time. Seven passions. First of all, a passion to speak. Have you ever noticed how difficult it is to sell something you don't like? Has anybody ever had to do that? A person who's passionate about a product is the best salesman. When it's something you believe in, you can be a good salesman. Those who are sold out to the cause of Christ will have no difficulty selling it to other people. Did you hear me? Those who are sold out to the cause of Christ will have no difficulty uh, spreading it and sharing it and selling it to other people. Psalm 39 verses 1 through 3. I said to myself, I will watch what I do and not sin in what I say. I will hold my tongue when the ungodly are around me. But as I stood there in silence, not even speaking of good things, the turmoil within me grew worse. The more I thought about it, the hotter I got, igniting a fire of words. I like what Jeremiah said because Jeremiah became discouraged in the midst of a people who refused to hear God's call. And listen to what he said in Jeremiah chapter 20, verses 1 and 2, Now Pasher, the son of Immer, the priest, who was also chief governor of the house of the Lord, heard that Jeremiah prophesied these things. Then Pasher struck Jeremiah the prophet and put him in the stocks that were in the high gate of Benjamin, which was by the house of the Lord. Drop down to verse 9. Then I said, this is Jeremiah talking, I won't make mention of him, nor am I, who is him? The Lord. I'm not even going to speak his name anymore. But, he said, his word was in my heart like... Like a burning fire. Did you hear me this morning? He said it was shut up in my bones. I was weary holding it back and I could not. Listen, like David, Jeremiah felt something that was burning on the inside of him. He was not content to, to live his life with a half-cooked sacrifice. We live, I want to tell you today, in a wicked and in a perverse generation.
generation in a corrupt society. But it's time that somebody felt the fire of the Holy Ghost burning in their heart and they would boldly proclaim truth to their world. Why? Because this book said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. It's time that we make a sacrifice that smokes on our jobs. Mm. I get torn up sometimes about how people are an entirely different person at church than they are on their jobs. In the classroom. Or in the restaurant after church on Sunday. Secondly, a passion to act. So a passion to speak, a passion to act. The world is full of individuals Folks who can talk a good talk, but they never act. They can talk a good talk, but they don't always walk a good walk. And have you ever noticed when your children were playing sports, sometimes the best coaches seem to be the people that's never coached before? The best politicians to some people are, are the ones that's never ran for office before and don't even know what a campaign is like. The best investors seem to be the ones who have never invested a dime in their life. Now I'm going to propose a question that's probably going to make you quiet. But could it be that the ones who seem to think they're the best Christians really never do much of anything for the Lord? Mm-hmm. Oh, they, they think they've got it all figured out. They're all good. But you can't get them to do anything for the kingdom of God. They think coming to church and getting their shout on is their contribution. Mm-hmm. And then if there's not enough shouting that goes on, then they feel like they shouldn't have come to church. You know why? Their walk with the Lord is about that deep. Now, I know some people may not like it this morning, but I'm just going to proclaim a little bit of truth to you. Listen, you know your pastor. I'm Pentecostal to the bone. I, I, love, I love the Spirit of the Lord moving. As a matter of fact, I was probably the only one in the house that did a little bit of jumping this morning. I, I love it when the, when the Spirit of the Lord is moving. But I want to tell you something. I ain't about this mess that just shouts the, uh, shouts the hair down and, and shouts, the, the, shouts all over the place and whatever you want to call it. And then they, they walk right out of church and they bless out the waitress at the restaurant they don't pay their bills hello somebody and then they want to talk about everybody and everything and then they want to judge people that come in the doors and say they don't look good enough they don't act good enough they don't smell good enough that's a shallow walk that I don't want anything to do with but the people of God when they get in the river of God they'll get over the shallowness David went to see the mighty armies of Israel. No doubt he had heard of the great exploits of Saul and his armies. And being an Israelite, he would have heard the great victories that were wrought by Gideon, Samson, Shamgar, Joshua, and the others. And he understood that nothing could defeat the mighty armies of Jehovah God. Yet when he approached the battlefield in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 23, we read this. And he was talking, as he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant, the men asked? He comes out each day to defy Israel. Drop down to verse 26. David asked the soldiers, 
soldiers standing nearby. What will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? Why was David, do you think, so bold to act? Because David was uh, ruddy in stature. If you read, he was short. He was, he was small. He was not a large guy to go out and face this giant. But what David did was David saw the reality of the situation. Goliath declared that he was defying the armies of Israel. The soldiers that heard his challenge accepted the verdict and they declared surely to defy Israel as he come up. But David understood something else. David understood that he wasn't defying Israel. He was defying the armies of the living God. Listen to your pastor this morning. When we understand what we are fighting and how we will triumph, then there will come a boldness to act. When you realize that God is on your side, it does not matter what the situation looks like. It does not matter how big it may seem. With God on your side, you cannot go down in defeat. And as long as Israel is being defied, we're operating in the realm of the flesh. But when we realize that it's God's army that's being defied, then we can operate in the realm of the spirit. It's all about achieving the right perspective of the situation. When you look at the affliction from a human standpoint, we, we fight affliction with medicine, right? And, and listen, I'm, I'm a full-fledged believer in medicine. And thank God for medical professionals, and there are several in our church. But when we see affliction from a spiritual standpoint as an element of the curse from the fall of man, then we can fight it with faith. Paul reminded us in the book of Ephesians, he said, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, and against spiritual wickedness in high places. Listen to your pastor this morning. Your biggest enemy is not your boss. Your biggest enemy is not your co-worker. Your biggest enemy is not your neighbor. It is spirits and attitudes that come from a carnal mind and a carnal viewpoint. And if we are going to make a pleasing sacrifice, if we're going to act in the realm of the Spirit, then we must fight with spiritual weapons. Paul also told us that though we walk in the flesh, we don't war in the flesh because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So we need a passion to speak, and we need a passion to act, and we need a passion to witness. And I've already talked about a passion to speak, but it's time for the church to begin to declare what God has done. Let me say that again. It's time for the church to begin to declare what God has done. Psalms 96 verses 2 and 3, sing to the Lord, praise His name. Each day proclaim the good news that He saves. Publish His glorious deeds among the nations. Tell everyone about the amazing things He does. Psalms 107, 21 and 22. Let them praise the Lord for His great love and for the wonderful things He has done for them. Let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and sing joyfully about His glorious acts. Psalms 145, verses 3 through 12. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. No one can measure His greatness. Let each generation 
generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. I will meditate on your majestic, glorious splendor and your wonderful miracles. Your awe-inspiring deeds will be on every tongue. I will proclaim your greatness. Everyone will share the story of your wonderful goodness. They will sing with joy about your righteousness. The Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to anger and filled with unfailing love. The Lord is good to everyone. He showers compassion on all his creation. All of your works will thank you, Lord, and your faithful followers will praise you. They will speak of the glory of your kingdom. They will give examples of your power. They will tell about your mighty deeds. They will tell about your mighty deeds and about the majesty and glory of your reign. Get excited about what God has done, church. Did you hear me? I said get excited about what God has done. Talk about his greatness. Tell about his goodness. Tell somebody how he saved you. Make sure your sacrifice smokes. Mark chapter 7 verses 31 through 36. Jesus left Tyre and went to Sidon or Sidon before going back to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the ten towns. A deaf man with a speech impediment was brought to him and the people begged Jesus to lay his hands on the man and heal him. Jesus led him away from the crowd so that they could be alone. He put his fingers into the man's ears. Then spitting on his own fingers, he touched the man's tongue. Looking up to heaven, he sighed and said, which means, be opened. Instantly, the man could hear perfectly, and his tongue was freed so he could speak plainly. Jesus told the crowd not to tell anyone. Catch that? Jesus told the crowd not to tell anyone. But the more he told them not to, the more they spread the news. See, is it a confidence that the promise of the baptism of the Holy Ghost and fire is a promise of power to witness? Is it? Is it a promise of the baptism? Is it that the promise of the baptism of the Holy Ghost and fire is a promise for a power to witness? Is that what the word tells us? Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. But you shall receive power. After the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Some of you say, I can't talk to somebody about Jesus. But you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be a witness or witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Acts chapter 2 verses 1 through 4. Let's read about this. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared unto them the Divided tongues as of fire, and one set upon each of them, and they were all, say all, all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. Mark chapter 16 and verse 20. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying if we'll get the fire of God stirring again, we'll have a power to witness again, a power to proclaim again, and a power uh, to, to speak again, and a power to be a witness for him again. We need that power. I said we need that power. I'm afraid the church has lost a lot of power. We also need a power, fourthly, a power for the word. Inherently in any revival, there will be a passion, a true revival. There will be a passion for the word of God. Every true revival rests on a new appreciation for the power of the word. 
Those on whom the Holy Ghost fell at the turn of the last century had looked into the Word of God. They knew what it said. And they had the daring to wonder if it would still work in this generation. Did you hear me? This is how the church of God was born. This is how Pentecost as we know it was born. The generation from the last century, they had, they had read the word of God and they knew what it said and they had a daring wonder inside of them to see if it would still work in their generation. And because they prayed and because they allowed the Holy Ghost to move in their midst, you're sitting on a seat to in a church that is one of the greatest movements in the world today. Why? Because we know that we know that we know that we know that the power of God and the power of the Holy Ghost is real. We used to sing a song in the church that said, It's real, it's real. I know, I know it's real. This Pentecostal blessing, I know, I know it's real. See, I'm thankful, folks, for good singing. I'm thankful for talented musicians. I'm thankful for anointed music and worship. I'm thankful for outreach programs that God can use. But revival doesn't come until we fall in love with the Word. Bottom line. Revival does not come until we fall in love with the Word. And I'm not talking about a dead formalism that argues theology. But rather those who will embrace the Word as truth and it's relevant for their day. It's, I'm going to say this. It's still relevant. Every word, every I dotted, every T crossed, every period, every explanation, exclamation point, every colon, every semicolon, every word is still relevant to the church today. See, that's a big part of what's going on in this society that we live in. But every word is still relevant for today. Luke chapter 10 verses 38 through 42. Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village. And a certain woman named Martha came into her house. And she had a sister called Mary. Who, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Did you catch that? But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord... Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Listen, I want to encourage everybody that will to get plugged in and serve somewhere in the church. But don't do it if you're not reading the word. And I mean that. Don't do it. This is the better part. If you don't have time to read the word because you're serving, don't serve. Read the word. This is the better part. But when you read the word, that's a good thing. You'll want to serve. Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. And Mary's chosen the good part, which won't be taken away from her. You might not get real excited if I were to sing an old hymn today like Standing on the Promises. How many knows that song? I know I'm not going to see many young people's hands raised. Standing on the Promises. But I want to tell you. If you'll embrace the principle, you'll experience the power. Why not settle God's word in your heart? Why not let it come alive? Why not have a passion for what thus saith the word of the Lord? We also need a passion for repentance. I'm getting close. This is number five. There's seven. A passion for repentance. You might be thinking, Pastor, I, I repented a long time ago. I'm going to tell you, so had the church at Corinth. 
So had the church at Corinth. Yet they found themselves in a situation that required repentance. Our attitude should always be one of repentance. Our attitude should always be one of repentance. If we are to walk the way that God desires, if we are to offer the right sacrifices, then we will always be ready to repent. It's too easy for us to follow the ways of the flesh, church. It's too easy for us to get caught up in the ways of the world. The spiritual journey requires constant course corrections. Are you with me? Constant course corrections. And we call that repentance. Times when you realize, whoa, I'm going to turn and go this way because I ain't going to go that way anymore. That's repentance. I want you to listen to the way the Corinthians repented in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 11. Just see what this godly sorrow produced in you is what Paul said. Such earnestness, such concern to clear yourself, such indignation, such alarm, such longing to see me, such zeal, and such a readiness to punish wrong. You show that you've done everything necessary to make things right. It sounds like to me they were letting the sacrifice of fleshly desire smoke on the altar of repentance. That's what we need to do in the church today. We also need a passion for the church. I got one come on, two come ons, and no amens. Just got a few amens. We also need a passion for the church. If church is something you dread, you've lost your passion. And I'm going to be honest with you. You may say, well, pastor, that's haughty. I'm not trying to be haughty. But if you're in this church and you've lost your passion for church with everything that God is doing and has blessed us with, you've lost your passion. Because God's providing buildings. God's sending in people in the harvest. God's adding to his church daily. God's blessing people financially. God's protecting people uh, physically. We ought to thank God, and if you've lost your passion for church, you've lost your passion. But the good news is you can get it back. But let's, let's talk about a passion for the church. The psalmist said in Psalm 122 and 1, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Psalm 84 and 10, a single day in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. I'd rather be a gatekeeper in the house of my God than live the good life in the homes of the wicked. Let that sink in. It's time that we get a passion again for the things of God. You know what? The fervency of the early church was displayed in their attitude toward church. The fervency of the early church was displayed in their attitude toward church. The way they acted about church. Acts chapter 2 verses 46 and 47. They worshiped together at the temple every day. Each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And every day, did you catch this? Each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. If you get passionate about church again, that loved one that you're praying for to get saved might come to church with you. When you come to the house of God, come ready for the fire. Light your own fire if you have to. Hello, somebody. Is anybody ever, anybody knows what it is to see? We, we got gas logs in my house now. I sit down on my couch and pick up a remote and click, and then all of a sudden, boom, I got fire. 
It's nice and it's warm and it's quick and it's convenient. But when I was growing up, we had an old-fashioned fireplace, a wood burner. Not a wood burning stove, but we had a wood burning fireplace. Anybody ever have one of those? And we kept what we called kindling. Who knows what kindling is? And we'd go light, usually some uh, newspapers or something, and stick them up under the grate, underneath the kindling, and get the kindling started. Then when the kindling began to burn, then we'd start adding wood to the fire. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying every time that you come to church, you're not going to be on fire when you get here. Every time that you get up on a Sunday morning to come to church, you may not just be so enthusiastic and so on fire to get here. But let me tell you what to do. Get up early and say, God, here's my kindling. Kindling. I'm gonna lay it on underneath the on the grate. I'm gonna light some fire underneath. I thank you this morning that you've saved me. I thank you that you've provided for me. I thank you that I'm healthy and I'm able to go to church today. I thank you that my children don't have some type of chronic illness or dreaded disease. I thank you that my family's safe and nobody wrecked on the way home last night. You begin, I've been telling my class on Wednesday nights, you begin to thank God for the blessings in your life. And the trials and the problems and the troubles will get smaller and smaller. But let me tell you what else will happen. You'll find that kindling will begin to start to burn. Then you add some wood to it. And before you know it, you'll come to church and there'll be fire. If there's one thing I'm missing when I come to church, it's the fire of the Holy Ghost. Why? Because the fire is the acceptable sacrifice. So when you come to the house of God, come ready to offer a sacrifice that smokes. Psalms chapter 100. Shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Shout. I want you to notice something here. See, we have it, we have it every which way but loose in this church. And I'm so thankful. We're so diverse. Do you know how diverse we are? I mean, we have every denomination you can imagine that worships here. That's pretty awesome. But on the flip side, you've got these people that, that, I'm, that I'm preaching to today. And if it's you, you know it's you. If it's me, I know it's me. We need the fire. Some folks that need the fire that's never had the fire. Some folks that need the fire that once had the fire that need the fire restored. We got all that. But then on the flip side, we got, we got something else. We got some... Folks that have been, bless God, Pentecostal all their life. That's okay. You're looking at somebody who didn't cut their teeth on Pentecostal pews. I cut my teeth on Baptist pews. Ain't nothing wrong with Baptist pews. A lot of my Baptist friends were holier than some of your Pentecostal friends. Amen. And let me tell you what else we knew how to do. We knew how to witness. We knew how to memorize the word in Sunday school. Boy, y'all getting quiet on me now. I must be the only Baptist here this morning. But anyway. Then... You've got, and there's nothing wrong with people that, that cut their teeth on Pentecostal pews and been Pentecostal all their life. But I want to point something out to you this morning. When the psalmist said in verse 1, he said, shout with joy to the Lord. He didn't say if you feel like it. He didn't say if you felt it. He didn't say if a lightning bolt falls from heaven, shout. No, he said, shout with joy to the Lord. Shout. 
There's another passage of scripture said we ought to enter his gates with thanksgiving. We ought to come into his courts with praise. You know what I'm longing for? I'm longing for the day that when people hit the door, they're saying, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, that they enter worshiping and praising God. Does anybody know how to praise God anymore? Does anybody know how? I'm longing for the day where we worship and praise God like the word said. Where we shout to God with a voice of triumph. You know what would do you some good? That devil that's been fighting you all week would hear you shout with a voice of triumph and say, you know what, devil? I've got the victory. I serve a God who's in control. He'll never leave me. He'll never forsake me. I've got the victory. Shout with joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He's made us and we're his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Here we go. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and go into his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Why? For the Lord is good. His unfailing love continues forever and his faithfulness continues to each generation. And lastly, today we need a passion for prayer. And this is what I'm closing with. Matthew chapter 26, a passion for prayer. Verse 36, then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. And he began to, to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch with me. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed saying, oh my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but your flesh is weak. Right. Folks, I want to tell you, it's in prayer. That the victory's won. I said it's in prayer that the victory is won. Last passage of scripture today, James chapter 5, verses 14 through 18. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer. You know what fervent means? It means hot. The effective, hot prayer of a righteous man avails much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again. And the heaven gave rain. And the earth produced it's fruits. If they'll come to the music today. It's in prayer. That the victory is won. Folks. We need to. Earnestly. And seriously. Seek the Lord. For passion. I'm going to say that again. We need to earnestly 
and seriously seek the Lord for passion. Oh God, restore our passion. Oh God, restore our passion. God, we need a passion to speak. We need a passion to act. We need a passion to witness because God, they're going to hell all around us every single day. Oh God, restore our passion. We need a passion for your word. We need to be passionate about your word. We need to be passionate about repentance. God, you've showed us in your word you cannot bless over sin. But a repentant heart you will bless. God, give us back our passion for repentance. God, give us back our passion for church. If every single person that called this church home attended here every Sunday, both services would be full. Oh God, give us a passion for your church. But God, also give us a passion for prayer. Because I believe with everything in me, when your people pray, stand with me all over the room this morning every head bowed and every eye closed I know in a room this size in a crowd this size rather even though it's a much smaller than usual 845 crowd even in a crowd this size I would venture to say more of us than not need to say, oh God, restore my passion. Some of you are afraid about being passionate for the things of God. You don't want to be viewed as being super spiritual or hyper religious. But I want to tell you, you don't know what you're missing when you're not passionate for God. But when you become passionate about the things of God, I'm telling you right now, your life will be joy. Your life will be contentment. Your life will be fulfillment. Oh God, restore our passion. And no doubt, even in a crowd this size, there's somebody that has no passion because you've never totally surrendered to the Lord. I'm going to ask them in just a moment to sing. And as they do, we're going to open this altar. And whether your cry is, oh God, I surrender completely to you. Or whether your cry is, oh God, restore unto me the passion that I've lost for the things of God. Listen, I'm going to admit that I've lost some passion about some things. I'm, I'm no better than anybody else. I've just got a greater responsibility than anybody else. But you need to get off your high horse and admit the passion that you've lost. Because it's obvious. It's obvious to some of us. You might as well admit it to the Lord. And say, God, 
Restore my passion for the things of God.